Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. What's up, monkeys? Monkey Dan here, and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. This episode is a conversation between myself and Mason Gravely, who's the host of the Adventure Sports podcast. He's a monkey, he's a wild man. And I reached out to him last week, and we were just kind of texting, talking about the coronavirus and how each of us were doing. And I thought it'd be kind of fun just to to chat, just reflect on the times. And I thought he did an awesome job of really bringing in what he'd learned from adventure and all these different struggles he's had throughout his life and how he's applying that to the situation now with coronavirus. So Mason's someone I really respect. He's a deep thinker. I really appreciate his insights, and I think you guys will too. So the one bummer is, I don't know what happened. I'm not a technical monkey, but I was recording on my side, and something dropped during the recording. But fortunately, Mason has the whole episode recorded, so his audio is great. My audio, not so great. But again, I think you guys are still going to be able to pick up everything, and I really enjoyed our conversation. So here we go. And I, I would love to talk about just kind of, you know, what it's been like, what this is going to mean, and also what adventure and maybe even training, like what, what committing to something like that has taught us about dealing with situations like this. You know what right. I'm saying? Um, right. Just because I do feel like there's a lot of overlap. Like, like honestly, you know, I'm looking at, you know, when, when this was coming, I kind of, I don't know, not said I was early on or something, but just, I was thinking about it like, oh man, this could be bad. I should start preparing. You should probably hear my son right now. He's crying. I'm trying to keep it down. <laughs> I've got like my little soundproof, pretty much blankets making a, a thing around my, my desk. So <laughs> sure. No, don't, don't worry about it, man. Okay. Um, but no, it's just the, the things that started coming to my mind are the things that I felt, it felt like a similar mindset as to when, uh, you know, I got a flat tire or something, or I got hurt out in the woods and it's like, okay, what do I do? Just a few, probably a month or two ago, I got stuck in the snow up in the mountains in my truck and I was all alone. And it was like in the middle of the night and this blizzard was coming in and I was like, all right, don't panic. What do I do? Like, where do I go? What do I have with me? And I literally had a, a, a hammer in the back of my truck and just started digging myself out. So I dug like a foot down in the snow till I found some rocks and then just piled a bunch of rocks under the tires and got out. Cause even my four wheel drive, I was stuck and it was freezing. man. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was like, and the wind was just whipping and uh Holy crap. I could be stuck here for a while. I was really out there and got out and got home, but it was just, okay. I feel like all this training from adventure kind of, kind of helps in those situations, you know? Oh, for sure. Man, well, it's just, it's the problem solving mindset, you know? Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, I think honestly, yeah, I think let's just keep flowing. Um, sure. Let's just keep flowing. <laughs> yeah. So what's the experience been like for y'all so far? I mean, I know we were still early on. It could end any, you know, really quickly or it could continue for a while. You know, how, how has it been for y'all so far? I mean, it honestly, I, I'm in, I'm actually at the monkey office right now. Cause there's basically, you know, it's, I have a small office in this warehouse, so it's not like there's basically zero or minimal, um, uh, contact with other people. So it's just, it's a very low risk situation. Um, so for me, it hasn't been 
you know, a big deal. Um, it's certainly harder on Anna, my wife, um, cause she's at home with Henley, our daughter. And it's just, you know, she, she was going to all these play dates and going to the museum, you know, she was out doing stuff all the time with her. And now it's just, especially with the weather, man, that was hard when that snow came through, um, last week. That was rough. You know, overall we're positive. We're actually, we're in the process of building a house. So it's a little, you know, just who knows what's going to happen with the housing market and all that. So that's just an unknown that's out of our control that we'll deal with down the road. But, um, well, let me ask you this with, with a big move like that, with a big, not, not, not physical move, but like a big step in life. What's your views on this disrupting it? Like what's your instinctual reaction and then what's your kind of long-term view of it? You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. Well, it's funny asking people, everyone, everyone I think starts with this, oh, it'll be fine, especially people that are incentivized, you know, by a certain situation. So if you're a real estate agent, you're going to say it's fine. Right, right. Uh, but I, I just, I think there's a lot, I think as humans, we just have a hard time seeing these large systems and I just think there's not. I'm I'm a very optimistic person in general, but I'm trying to be more realistic for this particular situation. So, um, yeah, I just think there's going to be long-term consequences, but I don't know exactly what they are, which is unfortunate because that doesn't really help many people. <laughs> What's your feeling towards it? Is it optimism or is it? Anxiety? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, I think overall things are going to work out for everyone. I think certain people are definitely getting hit harder than others. You know, especially if you work at like a restaurant or any sort of service oh, yeah. industry, you know, it's just, and I can't imagine, you know, on the adventure side, you know, if you're a guide or, you know, you have these trips planned for this upcoming summer, I mean, that could almost get wiped out completely, you know? Yeah. You, you um, wouldn't think about it being out there, but like there was, we had, I know some friends are, were going to do the AT this year and like the Appalachian Mountain club or whatever it's called the amc said no one should hike the trail right now and you wouldn't think that but you know there's a ton of physical interaction we're not you know just close interaction along a real popular hiking trail so all these through hikers are pushing back their 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 ventures they're physically doing out in the woods months and months and it's i can't imagine for folks that are actually doing it for business you know oh yeah yeah, well, it's funny because I said to Anna, I said, hey, you know, if we didn't have, uh, we're having another baby in May, if we didn't have another baby coming and, you know, we're fulfilling Kickstarter right now, if we didn't have all that, we should just go on like a through hike. But then I saw, I think Outside Magazine posted something and I thought about it. It's like you could serve as this vector hopping from town to town, you know, it, so um, I, I retract my previous statement. Man, I know it has been tempting. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, holy cow, we got a month before you go back to teaching or, or, or we'll see if you even go back. Let's go somewhere. Gas is like a dollar fifty a gallon all over the country. And, but then it is, you know, the reason we have this opportunity is not a good reason. And so right. you don't want to be a vector and you don't want to be, it does feel selfish, but you also think like, oh, I'm not going to have this opportunity again. So it's, but Right. Man, you, I, yeah, you guys are having a baby here soon. What, what's your feelings around that? How, I mean, I'm sure that has caused you to think a little differently about, about the next few months. Yeah. I mean, you know, to answer your previous question, I'm overall positive. I think there's going to be, you know, I think people are just kind of calm. It, it reminds me of most of like the fifties in a way. It's like the fifties with smartphones right now. Everyone's out walking, talking to their neighbors, People seem to be friendlier in general, all that. And um, 
actually had to take Henley to get some vaccinations earlier this week and the hospital was empty and talking to the doctors there, it's, it's been pretty mellow. I didn't think that this is in Boulder. Um, there were not any cases at this specific hospital and yeah, they said, just kind of don't worry about it. And so I'm excited, you know, I think too, with the seasons changing, I, I suspect that will help uh, calm things down a little bit if um, what I've read is true, but I would fact check me for sure on that. But um, yeah, it'll be, it's, it's, it'll be an interesting time being born into this situation. You know, the bummer is, you know, family and friends, you know, if, if there's still kind of a quarantine going on, then we're just all, we're all alone in our little prison. That's our house. You know, that's the best thing about having a kid is all the people you get to bring, bring around it. So hopefully we can, it, it can be calmed down enough to um, not get in the way of that. But you're not worried at all about physically having the child so young in your home. You know what I mean? Just, it's scary having a kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so like I can't imagine when kids are born in, uh, you know, these situations, you know, whether war is going on or uncertainty politically or, you know, all around the world stuff is happening all the time. Of course, this is nothing new, but I mean, there's never been something so big. Someone said today, actually, was listening to a podcast, and it said, like, this is the dr- biggest social experiment of all time. Okay. A billion and a half people were told to stay home for the next few weeks, like, around the world, through their local governments and whatnot. Other things have affected the whole world, but never has the world been so big. So a billion and a half people is probably the most people ever been involved in one situation together. And then, obviously, the whole world is affected, even if they're not staying home. So it's like wow, this is a big deal. This is a big event, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, and it's hard to recognize that I think when you're living in it, you know, cause you're just, you're in your own little world. But yeah, I guess I've been really into stoicism the last year and you know, it's just, um, I'm doing what, well, we're doing what's in our control Anna and I, as far as just, you know, we're, we're trying to really honor the quarantine and stay healthy and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best and deal with problems as they arise. But I, you know, the other thing too is man, like if kids, if, you know, if there was a ton of young kids going into hospitals and if it was a kid centric disease, I would certainly have a different attitude. But the fact it just seems to be focused on older and populations that are immune compromised. I, it just, it gives me, um, less worry. I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I'd say, uh, I don't want to sound cold-hearted, but I feel like that's better than if it was affecting children and, and infants even. And maybe I'm biased because I'm a dad right now and young dad just like you. And I just can't imagine, you know, those folks being like, I, I mean, the, the thing, we, we think it's the worst situation possible. You know, a lot of people are saying that, you know, the news is just the sky is falling all the time. So this is <laughs> for right, once, feels right. like something worth covering. I mean, you just, I, my, I, I watch the news, every graphic, every headline is in bold red and crazy, just negativity. And, you know, they're, they, you know, they're trying to grab your attention. There's a lot of news going on, but all that to say, I mean, think of how much worse it would be if, if, if the script was flipped and it was affecting zero to 10 year olds at an accelerated rate. I mean, this would be, it would be awful. It would be so much worse in my opinion. Yeah. 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 Like I said, I think my attitude would be completely different. You know, we'd probably move to like the middle of 
Wyoming or something to get away. You know, I'd build, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd really shelter in place. So what, what about you, man? How, what's your kind of long-term short and long-term outlook? Man, that's, that's a good question. Cause you know that you always have an initial reaction to something. We were just talking about this yesterday. Somebody was bothering me. Um, not bothering me, but someone sent an email or something that was just getting to me. And Emily's like, well, you can't affect your, 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 your instinctual reaction to things. You know, that's kind of instinctual and you really can only affect your, your long-term reaction to things. Cause then you have a choice in there at some point. And, uh, I've been thinking about that the last, well, 24 hours really. And it's like, you know, treating this situation like that instinctual reaction, you know, maybe a little fear, a little like, Oh gosh, what is this? Um, but long-term, I don't know. I think it can be a really good thing. You know, I hear a lot of adventures on our show talk about kind of the concept of not letting tragedy or not letting um, a a challenge go to waste or some sort of setback go to waste because it's a huge learning opportunity. It's a huge, it can be a pivotal moment. Like how many people have you talked to through Monkey and of course, you know, through the podcast and just through knowing people that some big event in their life was a turning point? You know what I mean? Most people, not most, I'm sorry, a lot of people don't get healthy until there's a health scare. They don't take life serious until it's threatened in some way. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so with something like this, I feel like it's a huge opportunity for the majority of people. Literally, I mean, almost every person in America is, is a, everyone is affected by this in some way, unless they're just, you know, a nomad way out in the middle of Mongolia or something and have it don't, don't check anything ever for years at a time. And so, you know, I think for most of us not going to get this and not going to, you know, physically be, you know, our health is going to be okay for, for the vast majority of us, even at the worst case scenario, you know what I'm saying? Like most people are going to make it through this and be fine. And, uh, you know, we're just all taking super precautions right now as a society, which is great. And I think it's great that we're supporting our most vulnerable in that way. But it's a huge opportunity for us to just reevaluate what's important. I don't know about you, but it, holy cow, all these goals I had this year are all of a sudden out the window. They're totally out of my control, like either, either events or adventures or just plans. You know, you got this graph, you're on this track, whether it's finances or, you know, building your house or plans of all sorts and it's just disrupted all of a sudden and I just think it's good to know that that can just happen at any time and you really do need to take advantage of every day like I guess I guess I've been looking at my family different this week like wow it's just cool to be here you know what I mean it's just cool to just sit here and sit in our house open the curtains and let the sun come in and just sit that's really the most important thing I can be doing right now because so many other things are out of my control and it takes something like this to maybe realize that again. And it's, it's like a societal crisis. I don't know if you remember, but remember after nine 11, how, I don't know. I just remember the world being obviously just a huge, horrible situation, but I just remember everyone at school. I was in school at the time and every, you know, my parents, my community was just so loving, so caring, so compassionate towards people. And it was almost like, that effect lasted much longer than the event itself and ended up being a very positive experience for a lot of people because they just reevaluated their lives after that. So I, I think this is going to be the same, you know? Well, you brought up a lot of good points there. I, 
I was going to say there's like this groundedness or people seem more grounded walking around with, and it, it does remind me a little bit of post nine 11. I was, I think I was a sophomore in high school. So I was like 15, I was 16, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, everyone seems grounded. You know, I'm talking to my neighbor. There's neighbors I've talked to that I've literally never even seen before. They yeah. live two or three houses down. It's crazy. And, um, yeah, it does really, you know, put things in perspective. You know, I'm, I'm usually, I'd be bummed if I was just stuck inside, but the fact that you're kind of forced to be, or at least forced to stay away from others, um, appropriately, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm just shifting my mindset to enjoying it, spending more time with Anna and Henley and just making the best of the situation. So for me, that's, you know, doing a lot of home workout stuff and, it's been cool too to kind of rally behind the monkey community and the monkey family. And just there's, it's been crazy seeing how many people all of a sudden are getting out their gear, maybe they haven't been using it for a while. And just in general, the the nation kind of embracing fitness, which is, it's a really positive outcome of this. Like you were saying, I think, I agree. I think there's a lot of positives and I think that it's just a good reality check, you know, and reminds you what is really important. And hopefully, you know, as a, as a nation and as a world, there's going to be a lot more good than bad that, that comes out of it. Anna actually mentioned, you know, she, she wants to see like satellite photos of like pre pre uh, coronavirus post Corona, or I guess pre pre coronavirus quarantine post coronavirus as far as like pollution in the air and stuff like that. So Oh yeah, it's been huge. Have you seen some of them? I I, I did, that those exist? Yeah, there's actually been a lot of coverage of it like you know, it started with China cuz China's such a big polluter, huge right. manufacturing. It it showed some satellite imagery from NASA of, of of pollution and it's just I mean, it's it looks like literally cloud coverage versus a clear blue sky. And, you know, I don't know what exactly it's measuring, just, just carbon output, um, but okay. I don't know how it's, but, it, you know, it looks like a radar, like weather, and it's literally, all you see is red, then all you see is just the country, you know, the outline of the country. It's like totally non-existent, the pollution itself, and so that definitely is a benefit right now, in the same way Italy, because they're, oh, poor, poor Italy, they're getting hit hard, and right. definitely don't want to undermine the effect it's having on the families and the people that are dying from it that's horribly awful but but you know it was a story i don't know there's so many things like this that have happened in history i don't know if you remember i might be getting all this wrong i'm no (laughs) historical person but i think it was the the black plague that was in england that was killing so many people and you know it was transmitted by rats and just filth and you know london was just a horribly disgusting city and it caught fire because every crevice and nook was filled with trash and waste and like broken sticks and just just hay and just garbage and the whole city just burned to the ground and it also in correlation you know helped eliminate the plague because part what part of the reason that it was continuing because the amount of filth just never ceased you know the the river, the the river was filthy. Everything was just filthy, and these rats just thrived. And when their habitat was destroyed through this fire, it cleansed the city. And so a lot of folks look back on it and say, you know, if that hadn't happened, the problem would just 
continued. You know, one really knew that that's why it was happening. You know, at that time, you, it's spirits or whatever that are causing you to get sick. Or right, right. I'm not, I'm no expert, so don't quote me on that. But I just remember reading that. I think it was in heck, college or high school or something, and just always thinking like, you know, you don't want to think about awful things in that way, but sometimes it is a, a cleansing of the mind and soul and and of, of of a society. And I don't know, something like this, man. I just think it's going to be a pre and post coronavirus world. You know. I think I think everything's going to be different now. For sure. In what ways? I don't know. Yeah, man. I I think it's a cool. What I wrote this down while you were talking. You brought up a really good point, but to me, it's a really good reminder or an example of how you can slow down, do less, consume less, and still be really happy and content, and just enjoy the the simple small things in every day. You know, that's um yeah. It's super easy to get lost, you know, whether you're, even if you're a hardcore adventurer, you know, I, in Boulder, there's like this, it's kind of like, um, adventure is like a sport. Well, adventures are sports, but it, it's, it's almost beyond that in Boulder where it's, it's, it's adventures, highly competitive. And then you'll see this guy did this run or climb this thing. So you want to climb harder type of thing. And, um, it's nice to take a step back from that and just, again, enjoy enjoy to have the time that we do have and see that it's okay to slow down and you're still going to be happy and healthy. Wow. Yeah, man. I, I totally get that. You, you said like, like adventure is a competition, right? Like, oh, this guy got the fastest known time on this mountain or this route. And now I got to go for it. But I, I, I will say, I don't know about you, but when I go on an adventure, I immediately get incredibly thankful for the smallest smallest luxury or the smallest like break. And so, you know, after a hard day of riding or hiking, it's like that evening stroll by the end of the day, the through hike, it's like by the time it's, I don't know, five, six o'clock in the sun, you know, there starts getting that golden hour and the scenery's gorgeous and you find a campsite and it's just like that, that cup of tea or coffee and that meal is just so good. And that it's just such a relaxing incredible experience and then when you get back from adventure it's almost like you're just see everything in a whole new light like running water is amazing you know like a a fresh cup of coffee anytime you want is just awesome having you know a steak or whatever it is is just like holy cow this is i can't believe i'm having this steak right now and i don't know i I feel like it's kind of like that right now like okay we do need to just be more conscious about everything we do where we go, if we drive somewhere, be conscious about the gas you're using, be conscious about, you know, the amount of food we're eating or the, you know what I mean? Just not endlessly consuming as just a way to fill some sort of void, but like being very intentional and be not being so wasteful right now. Um, cause you just never know what's going to happen. And I think that has an incredible, I think that has an incredible effect on people, you know? Absolutely. I feel like it's kind of like tough love. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need this as a society. I feel like we need a kick in the pants saying you can't just head endlessly in this direction of consumerism, of progress, of the graph going up and to the right all the time. You can't just, you know, rely on growth all the time. It's a finite world. It's finite resources. It's finite time. It's finite money. You know what I mean? And so I think this is going to cause people to just take a step back and relay what's important. Absolutely, man. 
one thing I actually wanted to ask you about is what you're reading, but um, I've been reading these books lately and it's, I keep seeing this, this topic coming up over and over and over and, and distilled down to like two and a half words. Essentially it's struggle equals purpose. And, you know, I think our generation, I'm 34. It always takes me a second to think about that. Now I'm in the thirties, but <laughs> I'm 34 and, you know, we've never, at least I've, I guess I went through nine 11, but it was, it was so, you know, I was in California that happened in New York. It was so far removed. And I think I was still young enough at the time where it just, it didn't, it wasn't as visceral as this, where it's, it's literally happening here and now in my community and state. So I just, we haven't had this, this large, this struggle. We haven't, or we've had it very well and very good since pretty much our whole lives. So mm. if you compare that to most of human history, that's, that's not how, it's been, and nor is that really what we evolved from. So I, I really think that struggle does create purpose. And like you said, getting this kind of setback and this opportunity to kind of reevaluate and see how that's actually true will, will hopefully change a lot of things. So, yeah, it, it, you're right. It is here and now. I don't know about you, man, but I, I think this might be horrible to say, but I feel like adventure has led me to this mindset. I, I think I'd rather live in interesting times th than not in whatever struggles that brings. In a way, like I don't want to. The, the, the part of me doesn't want to go through stuff. The other part of me is like, you know, you, you know for a fact that's the only way you grow. And that's the only way. Like what, what are you doing here on earth if you're not here to experience the, the human experience? You know what I'm saying? Right, right. I don't know. I've taken a lot of pride through trips, like just being able to understand what people are going through. And I don't know, I'm pretty open about this on my show, but I went through a pretty serious depression a few years ago and I never want to go through something like that again. But I'm really glad it happened because now anyone that talks to me about that, I can just totally relate. You know what I mean? And just right. offer from a perspective of experience, hey, it's going to be all right. It, it does pass. You do get through it. There are ways to deal with it if it's something that you deal with for a long time. And I don't know, just just going through challenges. I, I love being able to be um, relatable. And I, I talked about this on my, my show on Thursday. My, uh, my grandmother went through the Great Depression. She, she just died last year, and she lived her whole childhood through the Great Depression, and uh, she was pretty old. And I just asked her about it all the time, like, what was that like? She's like, well, you know, like, I, I learned not to waste. I learned how to be relatable to people. I learned how to... I learned all these skills going through that. Man, I wish I could go through something like that. You know, like that sounds really stupid. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, man. You know what I'm saying? It's like the people yeah. that go through it, there's something about them that is different than the people who never have to go through anything. Well, build character. And, you know, I think what you're making me think is, or what I want to ask you hearing that is, do you think, I'm going to say modern adventure sports or, or, how we kind of go about adventure in this modern day is that in a way to create this struggle that you're talking about? Like, are we creating these, are we seeking out these hard, difficult experiences as a way to kind of fill that void? Because it's not, you know, you could go through your life and never leave your house and just sit on the couch cause you can get everything delivered. Right. You know, you, you literally don't have to struggle at all. Oh, definitely. It's a, it's filling an instinctual void, I think. You know what I mean? Like we train right. 
for what for for competitions for ironmans for marathons for whatever it is it's filling a void it's filling i think a biological void that folks that struggle don't need to fill i've seen some pretty poverty stricken areas in the world some pretty extreme poverty and stuff never had to go through anything like that but you know it, it I remember telling my grandma, first of all, that we lived through the Great Depression, like, hey, I want a bike from Alaska to Florida. She's like, why in the <laughs> world would you want to do that? It's voluntary struggle. And we are in a position of privilege to to take on stuff like that. And I think all this effort we put towards it, um, you know, towards exercising, towards achieving goals does fill some sort of void. I, I hear from a lot of people on the podcast that, like, when their body no longer allows them to do adventures, they fill that void through really focusing on work and projects and pushing the envelope in other ways. And, you know, yeah, I definitely think you're right. So going through something like this, I feel like, I don't know, we can put those skills that we've learned through our pursuits and adventure sports to practice and stuff like this. But for folks that go through it naturally, I don't know. I feel like it's just there. They don't need to, they don't need to manufacture it. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's, uh, David, who's a monkey co-founder, he was in the Peace Corps over in Ethiopia. Oh, man. And uh, I actually went visit. I went and stayed there for about a month. It was awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, amazing people. The food, the food, man. If, if anyone listening to this, if you've never had Ethiopian food, once we get through coronavirus, that's the first res- restaurant you should go to. It's awesome. Oh, that's awesome, man. I spent a lot of time in Uganda, so not too okay. far at all. Okay. But so, so what about um, it? What, how did that? Well, it just, you know, it was interesting when I went over to visit and we, you know, at the time I was 25, 24, 25. And at the time it was, it was one of those things where, you know, we're like trying to go climb mountains and do all this adventure stuff. And people are, they just, they didn't understand why we want it. Like even camping was like, why would you guys want to go sleep on the dirt? Because for a lot of people, that was just life. They, that wasn't, there was no novelty to it. It was just how they live. So it was, um, it's, again, it's interesting to see how affluence leads to seek these challenging pursuits or at least these more minimalist um, situations like backpacking or long distance bike riding or things like that that wouldn't necessarily be sought out in cultures that, um, that tend to struggle more. I don't think it's a negative thing necessarily. I just, I think it's more of a reflection of something that's, that's natural, that's missing, or at least that we evolved with, right? And again, the, the simplest word I can use is just struggle, whether that was getting food, getting water, having to go to war. Not that I think going to war is a horrible thing. I wouldn't want that for anyone. But again, this, that, what these different things did was they banded people together, created these really tight communities and that gave people purpose. So I think that's where, like you're mentioning, if someone's quite wealthy and maybe they're lacking, whether it's maybe they don't have a good relationship with their family or maybe they just, they're lacking that struggle or they're not finding purpose. They're doing these extremely difficult things, which I've never done an Ironman. I don't know if I ever will, but that's for sure. Super freaking hard. And, um, I can see how they can derive some some of that that missing stimulus into their life. Yeah. I think it does fill that. I think it fills that void 
Uh, you know, it's for them, for me, I like to stick on the more wilderness based stuff. And I don't know about you, but when I get out there and really get into an experience, it's like I shed this civilized life, you know what I mean? And I can kind of respond to things a little more instinctually. And I do feel a little more wild. Like it's like, especially through hiking or, or through, you know, bike touring, it's find water. I need to find water. Like I'm almost out. I got like half a liter left and, you know, I need to re I, that is a, you know, very basic human need and biological need. And it's like, I got to find water within the next few hours. I never have to even thinking about that throughout my day. Like I literally have a sink 10 feet away from me from my desk that I can just fill up my bottle anytime. And my, you know what I mean? It, it breaks it down to these survival instincts. And I think just for our really high strung overworked minds, it's such a good and positive thing. And so I'm hoping that this whole coronavirus experience helps people realize that those basic needs, they are important because they can be disrupted. You know what I mean? There's, there's, you know, with supply chain and not whatnot, there's a real chance that food might be in short supply for periods, you know what I mean? Depending on how things get disrupted and people hoarding, you know what I mean? I know you were talking about on, on your show last week, don't panic by, but, uh, right. my grandmother and grandfather who lived through that lived their entire lives from that, that point on extremely modestly and extremely frugally. They paid cash for everything, their house, I think they built their brick home for $12,000 and it's still there. Like I, my, my, my aunt lives in it now and oh, nice. you know what I mean? It, it, they build it. It's right there. It's on two acres, beautiful piece of land. And they lived an extremely simple life, but a very fulfilling life, very rewarding life and very, they're very happy. They were, they just, they both are passed away now. But I remember my grandfather would, would, he grew an acre worth of food every year and he, I didn't know this until long after he had passed when my grandmother told me a few years ago, she was like, well, your grandfather would grow this acre of food and he would split the harvest into two. He would keep half for us and, and give away the other half at church. He would take it to the oh, community wow. and find people that needed it. He, he would take the best half and give it away to people. And just asking her about, you know, why did he do that? She's like, well, you know, when you when you go through really hard times— you have a choice to, to, to make it about you or to make it about helping those around you get through it. And she goes, I just think our life kind of led us to, led us to focus on helping others. And they, they would never obviously talk about it. If he had an Instagram, he'd never post it to his story and tell you he's given away half an acre of food to people, but he was doing it. And I don't know. I just, I just think we could use more of that, more of that realization that, not all this is guaranteed and not all this is important. And what is important and what makes you the most happy is just as abundant in times of prosperity as it is in challenging times like now. You know what I mean? The same things that are going to make you the most happy then are going to make you the most happy now. They're all free, they're all abundant, and they're all right in front of your face. You know? For sure. For sure. And, you know, the the silver lining i i have seen uh various people whether it's, i think i've seen a few things on facebook or a few different news outlets where there are these groups of people organizing to you know help those that are a little bit higher risk to go to gro the grocery store for them or just mow their lawn do whatever they need to do to just just help people out so that that has been super 
inspiring and encouraging to see. And I, I, you know, I just read this book. It's called Sapiens. I'd highly recommend it. But he talks about how kind of basically the agricultural revolution shifted kind of the collective human mindset to focusing on the future. So you had to think if you were a farmer, you had to think about the crops for next year and the year after that and how you're going to plan for all these things. And hearing you talk about when you're through hiking or on a long bike tour or whatever it is, your attention becomes more immediate. Where do I get food? Where am I going to sleep tonight? All these different things. And that's such, I remember when I was doing the John Muir trail, that was such, it was like peeling back. You said peeling back these layers. You just felt wilder. You were more animalistic in a way, but it was a very, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's I like a werewolf means, transition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll post the pictures of me post hike. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> oh man. But, um, yeah, just, it's such a grounding cleansing experience. And then you, it's, it's, it was, I remember it was the weirdest thing hitting the pavement at the Whitney portal. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, you snap out of it. And it took me, it took me probably a week to feel, I don't even know if feel normal is the right word, but I guess readjust. And I just, I felt so good out there on the trail. And I wasn't, well, the thing I noticed the most is, well, one, I, I really miss my wife and she was pregnant at the time. This was my, I call this the pre baby spirit quest. It was my John Muir trail hike, but, um, you know, I really missed her and was really excited to meet our daughter. We didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl, but I noticed I wasn't ruminating on the future much, if any at all, you know, I was very, again, very present, very in the moment. And I think a lot of people don't get opportunities like that now. Yeah, absolutely not. That's a great reflection, man, because I don't know about you, but those times where I am living really in the moment, really in that day, I'm probably the happiest. Now, I'd say probably one, probably the least happiest era I've ever been. Just overall, nothing like wrong necessarily, but it. But I'm also in conjunction with that, thinking about the future more than I ever have. Right. So I wonder if that's correlated. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, it to me it makes total sense where, you know, the human, I, I, I've really gotten into evolution as well the last several months, but if you think about just what human life was like pre kind of 10,000 years ago, or even 5,000 years ago, it was very immediate. You didn't really have to think that far ahead. And now we're thinking weeks, months, years, decades ahead, like my retirement fund, what's that going to look like when I'm 65, all this stuff. And it's, um, I think we're starting to kind of max out on that from a bandwidth and a capacity size. So yeah, it's, it's, um, I feel you, man. What I've been wanting to ask you this, I mean, and feel free, we can always talk about it later on a different episode, but you know, you talked about the, I've heard you mention it, the depression you went through, you know, do you think that was caused by thinking about the future or being in this situation where all of a sudden you're, you have a mortgage or all these different things. What any catalyst for that specifically or. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, or good question. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 
I tell my wife all the time. It was like right when we got married, I got pretty depressed. Um, she's like, of course it was my fault. Oh. <laughs> no, but it was just a lot of, it was a kind of just cr- crossover of a lot of different things. I've always been very, uh, I've always been a very frugal person, very cheap. And so money stresses me out when we have to spend it for whatever reason, obviously, you know, you got to spend money on things. And so that is something we had some big expenses pop up. We had just gotten married, a whole new city. It was winter time. We both had never really gone through a real winter and it was oh, fairly okay. cold winter, um, here in Denver, but just, I don't know, just, I think it was overall a feeling of being trapped in a situation, um, just in a number of different ways and just didn't know how to handle it. I'd never gone through a depression before or really had many bad days in a row. I was a pretty happy person, but, uh, spiritually stuff was changing just a lot of unknown, a lot of unknown territory. And sure. I think that was kind of scary. Um, but I, I, I'll be, I'll tell people this, you know, if anyone's going through it, you know, even looking back, I've, I obviously are journaled and wrote about it and, 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 you know, saw it different treatments and it lasted a good year and a half consistently. And still it's something I got to, you know, deal with. It's almost like I feel that depression hit me like a car. Like it was like I was riding my bike down the road and a car hit me. And then all of a sudden I now have all these things I got to deal with, like a broken leg. You know what I mean? A collapsed lung and all that takes recovery and time. So it's definitely a pre and post person when something like that happens to you. I definitely feel like I was, there was a pre depression Mason and now there's a post depression Mason and it's totally different. Um, totally different mindset. I will say I do practice a lot of mindfulness where I try to look at myself from like, you know, a third person perspective, like, wow, this is an interesting situation. Try not to change it, but just feel it, feel like, you know, this is how I feel now. This is kind of my new reality. Um, what does this mean? You know, what, why does this happen? What should I do about it? And so I will say, I really don't feel like I made a choice or, or, or picked up vices or did anything to bring this on. I just literally felt one day I got hit by a truck and then it was just, what do I do with this? You know what I'm saying? That's how it felt. Right. And I know I've just never gone any, through anything like that. So I will say I look at it differently now with, with people that are going through things. I'm like, hey, I totally get it. It, it totally feels like it's out of your hands, kind of like this whole coronavirus thing. Like a lot of people's futures are at stake, and and you know things are just have changed for so many people now, and it's one hundred percent out of their hands. And I'm not saying that people don't get themselves into depression or or something like that, but for me, it really felt out of my hands. And then it was a matter of my my. You know, getting out of it was definitely an, an effort on my end. You know what I mean? I can definitely see how you can just sit in that after it happens. But just like if you were to actually be hit by a car, dealing with it afterwards is kind of in your hands. Um, but there's a lot that you can't change. You know, maybe you now your leg doesn't work like it used to or you're, you know, you have trouble breathing or something. You just never know your hands quiver. I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's kind of the best way I can describe it. That's honestly one of the best description I've ever heard, man. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't, it, it might be different for for you, but that's how it is. That's how it feels. Sure, sure. You know, 
you deal with PTSD from something like that. I'm sure if you were hit or, you know, you maybe you were mugged at some point. I had a friend that was mugged in New York or something one time, and, and it's just like he deals with that now, and it's totally out of his hands. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wake up sometimes and think, I'm just totally sad right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, right. now I need to work through this. Like, this is what I do in the immediate future right now. And so, I don't know. I, I can't speak on it as an expert. It's just only been a few years, but that's, uh, it's my reflection right now. But, uh, so, so this feels like a, you know, a similar thing to all of society happening to it. So, you know, anyone out there that's, you know, dealing with something or, or, or this coronavirus is accelerating some sort of effect on depression. I, I totally get it. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just want to encourage, encourage people. I've had some of my best days since that's happened. Um, but it's, it's definitely something I'm extremely, uh, not extremely, but much more intentional about, you know what I mean? I have to really recognize my attitude spiraling down or up, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's not just like I exist now. It's like, I need to make a conscious choice on how do I exist? It's really insightful. And no, I thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. I think, I think we all go through it in some form or fashion. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, to say I haven't, I, 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 I have certainly not gone through something extended, but there's certainly been acute phases where that feeling of the hit, the hit getting hit by the car. I think that's a very um, accurate description. So one thing I kind of trying to shift to getting folks a little, um, well, turn it to more lighter <laughs> stuff, I guess. But one thing I want to ask you, man, was, you know, I love, I won the, I got to, tell you on the air here, like the episode you did with Aaron, what's his last name? The national geographic. Oh, Aaron Miller, Aaron Miller folks on the monkey side, check this episode out. I'll link it in the show notes, but that was, I love that episode. And especially the Shinto monks that were doing these long distance kind of active meditations. And essentially it was the Misogi. And, um, you know, we've been texting and chatting a little bit. It seemed like maybe that interview kind of intrigued that concept of the Masogi a little bit. Not that you weren't doing it already, but it seemed to kind of reignite it in you a little bit. You know, you've done these huge adventures, the Alaska to Florida, these, the, um, I'm totally blanking. What's the bike ride from Canada to Mexico? The, um, tour divide, tour divide, tour divide, Colorado trail, all these things which for most people would be like the Masogi of a lifetime. So it was interesting to me after we'd kind of talked about it, how it was intriguing to you. And I'm just, I'm curious as to why that specifically was intriguing because you, you kind of already were doing these, these epic things that I would certainly classify as a Masogi. What's exciting about that framework versus just doing an adventure. You know what I mean? Like it's to me, they're not that different. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I we kind of goes back to, yeah, I don't know what's so intriguing about certain adventures and what isn't about others. But, um, I will say, I guess to adventure, at least the ones I've done, I've learned that like, yeah, I'm trying to put it into words with those Masogi guys. Like, it's all voluntary, of course. Like, we put ourselves out there on purpose. Um. But when you when you do something that involves getting to know other people, like you said, like folks in Boulder, you do adventures and you're trying to, you know, it gets very competitive and very, 
alpha really quickly. Right. But right. I, I'd say I'm definitely drawn towards adventures where it's interacting with very, very real people. When you start just learning about people on, on your journeys, you know, I, I felt like through hiking is probably a good way to do that too. You, you, you intersect with a lot of these towns and you see a lot of these people and you just learn that, I don't know, people have real struggles and it is a privilege to be out there. And is it, it is, it, it is a blessing and a, you're very thankful and grateful to be there. And so it kind of removes this competitive side of it and, and fills it with maybe some more important concepts. And so with, you know, Aaron visiting these monks, um, that were, you know, sitting under waterfalls and doing these long journeys. And he, he got to sit and talk with one of them. I, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like that, that was very much how some of my experiences have been sitting and talking. I remember one time, if I can entertain this, I was extremely lonely one day and like it had been four or five days since I've talked to another person. And I was like, I still, you know, I've gone a lot through a lot of change spiritually, but I still do pray. But I remember feeling incredibly lonely one time. And I said, I would just love someone to talk to. And I go to the McDonald's somewhere in Massachusetts. I was riding up the East Coast going across country. And I sit and and this guy comes over to me and talks to me. And, and he's kind of very awkward. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it. He was, he was challenged in a lot of ways. And so he was extremely loud when he talked to me. <laughs> And he was just like, hey, is that your bicycle outside? And I was like, yes, it is. And he's probably 75. And he goes, I'm here with my parents. And I was like, wow, your parents must be 100. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And, so, and he was just, he, he didn't, I don't think he had very high social awareness because he was spitting all over my face and okay. standing above me while I was at the table. And this other lady that was sitting kind of, I was at a booth. She was in the next booth over. So I, she, I was looking at her, but she was, there was a booth, empty booth between us. Um, and she was talking to me too, but she was deaf. And so she was very loud too, because she, I guess she couldn't regulate her volume. And so she couldn't hear this other guy talking to me, but the guy that was talking to me had no self-awareness to realize someone else was talking and they were both, you know, older and then this other guy was started talking to me about being a truck driver across country because he saw my bike. So I had all of a sudden three people talking to me at the same time, all incredibly loud. <laughs> and I was like, okay, enough. I got it. Okay. Enough. <laughs> and so I, I, the, oh, the, it man. was hilarious. And then, so I leave and a few hours later, I stopped to get some coffee because it was cold and rainy. And I sit down at this, you know, it's like this, I don't even know. It's like in where was I? I might have been in Maryland. I might have been near Baltimore or something. I was in this city and I was drinking coffee and this older gentleman, very old, asked if he could sit with me. And he was a World War II vet. And uh oh, wow. we sat and probably talked for an hour. He just told me all about his life, all about his experiences. And he showed me on his arm he had like four or five bullet holes, like scars where he had been shot in World War II. And I thanked him for his service, and I just was so blown away by this conversation. And it was those two experiences, man, were just – it made me – that's what I love about adventure is not being the fastest at something or, or being the, the greatest at something, but being able to really, really connect with people, um, everyday right. people, and have these experiences with people that you just don't have a lot of the times – otherwise and so um 
I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like, I feel like those experiences are really what life is all about. And the, my style of adventure is kind of built to, to, to have as many of those as possible. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to be the fastest to bike up the coast or something because I feel like you miss out on a lot when you do that, but that's just me. You know, if someone else might get that same level of fulfillment from doing it their way and that's totally understandable. For sure. Well, you know, honestly, man, that, that, um, anecdote you just shared, that really reminds me of kind of what we're going through now. Just again, it's those small interactions that are becoming much more meaningful and just what, what hearing you talk about that for some reason it was making me think of back when I was a kid and how you, you wouldn't really plan like, you know, playing baseball or soccer or street hockey or whatever. You just kind of went outside and started moving around and then another kid might come out and then you'd, you'd say, Hey man, you want to go do this? And then someone's dad might join in, you know, it was a very organic interaction versus today, everything, you know, there's, like, you know, it's uh three hours of texting to set up like a coffee meeting, or <laughs> you know? So Isn't it's that just, weird? um, yeah. Well, I think adventure does adventure, adventure creates a framework for those situations, you know? Those super small, yeah. So what what do we do as we get older? How do we increase those kinds of experiences? And you know, one of the things is that I definitely hold on to spiritually is this thing Jesus talks about of essentially thinking like children. Talks a lot about that. The children enter the kingdom of heaven, and you know, I think about that a lot. Like, how do I think back like a child? Like you said, you just let's go play basketball. Then all of a sudden, there's a game, and it's the greatest time of your life. How how do we do that now with our lives? You know what I'm saying? And, and going through all this, do we dial back the preparing for the future for decades and decades from now? Right. Well, that's you know what you're making me think of is as a kid, you don't have this, you don't have as many preconceived conceptions. You just kind of take things at face value. Versus, there's so we have so much information, access to information now, and it's easy to kind of form opinions before you meet someone or do something and. Um, seems yeah it's uh i don't i don't have a great answer frankly but that seems to be part of the cause is information overload in a way you know what i uh i remembered what i wanted to ask about the misogi now or at least i have a better i have a better way to to frame it so what we were talking about is and you actually brought this up like how if you know you can do something even though it might sound to someone else like oh my gosh you're gonna kayak from the bahamas to florida that's crazy if you know you can do something or I guess for you, it might be, you're going to ride your bike across the country. But if you know you can do something, it takes away a little bit of the unknown. Whereas like the Misogi is more like you're going to do something that I don't, I don't know if I can do that, but I, I want to try. And I think I'll learn a lot in the process. I think, I think that's the difference. And I think, you know, you and I were talking about doing some big climbing and maybe treating that as kind of a Misogi. So just to clarify for the listeners, I think that was our kind of conclusion between the difference and thus the attraction to the concept. Mm. What's, uh, you have any Masogi experiences that, that are kind of out there for you? Like, I don't know if I could do that. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm, I don't know if I can do. I just, I don't know what, um, you know, I'm trying to really shift my mindset into like, Oh dang, I'm not out climbing or doing this because we're about to have two kids. So 
I've been pretty modest with my goals for 2020. I've, I've actually just tried to do things that I are more executable that I don't know. Like I have some weightlifting goals. I have some running goals. Like I want to see if I can break a certain mile time. I'm going to try to do sub five minute, which I think the best I've ever done is like a low, like a five, I want to say 520, 523. So that's a pretty ambitious goal, but you know, maybe I get to 510 or 515. That would still be really fast. Heck yeah. Same with, same with weightlifting. You know, I can do that in my garage. There's some gymnastics exercise, you know, so that's kind of, they're misogies in a different way, I guess, for me. So instead of traditionally for me, it's always been these, you know, a big climb, a big run, a long hike, things like that. Whereas now I'm a little more, interested in these things that they're still unknowns, but they're just a little, they fit into my current state of life a little bit more. And I've also, I've really gotten into bow hunting as well. I really enjoy shooting a bow is extremely enjoyable, fun. And I just, I love being out. It's been, I've, I've hunted three seasons previously. The first one was in 2010 and then it was a big gap until 2018. But there's something about being out in the woods with the hunter's mindset and you just, you see the world in a whole different way, which I don't know if that's necessarily Masogi, but it's just, it like, it activates a part of my brain. I didn't even know was there. So I've, I've really enjoyed that. I really enjoy the process of bringing something back. You know, I feel like sometimes if I go, if I leave my wife and kid and go do something all day that was, you know, maybe climbing or, going on a big run there's I don't necessarily bring something back versus with the hunting you kind of you you share it's like your um I think it was your uncle that shared his crop you know you're sharing your the bounty of your harvest so I I do really enjoy that aspect of it as well dude I had no idea you hunted that's awesome (laughs) everyone says that (laughs) I need to get a haircut or something I, I don't know what it is I mean I can totally see it now but uh, I don't know. There's just, you know, a lot of people don't today. That's how I got in the outdoors was, was hunting and bow hunting too. My dad, I still have a bow and, and, uh, it, I, I, it, it, I mean, talk about it, feel fulfilling an instinctual need an instinctual, you know, desire is going out hunting something, especially with a bow and arrow and bringing it back. I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty incredible. Um, you know, I know hunting gets a lot of flack in, in, in a lot of today's world, but if you're going to harvest meat or anything, I, I think that's the most rewarding and the most uh, fair way to do it and also the most, uh, I don't know, the reflective way to do it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, you can't, it's relatively, uh, you know, I don't want to, bash on rifle hunters. Cause I think there's a lot of, I'd say most hunters in general, whether you are a bow hunter, rifle hunter are very good people, grounded people. And they really care about the animals and the environment more than people, possibly more than people that don't hunt. But yeah, I mean, it, it takes work and there's a process to it. It's not something it's, it's earned, I guess there's back to my theme. It's struggle that you have to, and you have to earn your, your harvest. So well, maybe we should end on that, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll have to do a, a bow hunting specific episode here soon. I'll have to. Interview, or we should get out I this fall. I could interview fall. you on bow hunting. Honestly, I'd love to. Well, I, I, 
I don't know if I'm, uh, there's certainly people that would probably be much more knowledgeable, but it'd be, it'd be certainly be fun to talk about. Well, that's what it's all about. Man. There's always someone oh, more yeah. knowledgeable. I mean, heck, right, right. <laughs> you didn't have to, I mean, there's way more people that know more about everything that I know a lot about. A lot more people know a lot more. So <laughs> that's sure, besides sure. the point. Yeah. You'd be great. But, uh, yeah, man, that's, I, I, is this what you were hoping? I mean, I, I hate, I feel like I've been all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, man? Like I really, I mean, by the way, I wanted to mention, I really enjoyed the, um, your, the monologue you did last week. But yeah, I just, um, I really like one, one of the podcasts I listen to most is Joe Rogan's and I really appreciate how, you know, it's, it's conversational and, um, you know, I think you and I, every time we've hung out, we've always had these really insightful conversations. And so I, I think yeah. I, I wanted to try and keep it that way. Cause it's just, I think the, the message gets out much more clear and the thought process becomes more clear so yeah i think um i think the monkeys are going to really enjoy and um i hope your audience does as well well cool man well dan thanks so much man and uh yeah let me know if you need anything else all right my man thank you yeah happy to do this heck yeah all right we'll talk soon brother take care my man all right bye bye bye